Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is such a treat to be here today. Today, we're in for a treat with a magical chat with Charles Eisenstein. Charles, how are you, Lola? I'm doing great. What an enthusiastic uh, opening. <laughs> it, is, it may have been a bit of a spanner, right? Because it's like, it's super chilled, welcome, how are you going? And then it's like, all right, let's go, bang. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, it's not an act entirely. You were super friendly before we started recording, too. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it definitely ships it up a gear as well. So, mm-hmm. hey, for those tuning in to Charles for the first time, Charles Eisenstein, public speaker, gift economy advocate, and, you know, researching you in the background, this was something that I'm just, I'm, to be honest, humbly surprised that I've never really dived deeper into this before. He's the author of several books, including The Ascent of Humanity, Sacred Economics, and The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible and Climate a new story. So there's so much in here and there are so many places that we could start and go. But one of the key questions, the key questions I've got, which I'm just going to open with that, you know, it's like, um, yeah, trying to be a better comedian, like finish with your punchy line, <laughs> uh-huh. come out, come out and give the, give the, give the last joke first. So I'm going to try and do that today, which is, hey, Charles, um, you know, a lot of you are humans and, you know, trying to like how we live with the world and how we interact and you know, just being better humans fundamentally. Um, but then a lot of your work is centered around money as well, you know, and like the economy. So what, what, why was it for you those two key nexus, like those, because like there's my being and then there's the, the piece of me that goes to work and does what I need to do. And I've obviously got my own ideas around this, but, you know, tell us a little bit about why your interests became the human being and how they make money. Yeah, that's been one of my... Uh one of the through lines in my work for a long time since yeah, probably almost 20 years, simply because 
any question that you ask about human society and the way we are doesn't stray very far from money when you ask like how does the world work it kind of revolves around money or how does how do i like just how often do we operate in terms of what can i afford to do what do i have to do um so much of it and the whole uh survival orientation is all wrapped up in money so i thought that to understand not only to understand society but also to understand the human being and myself i wanted to understand money better especially because money like this whole divide between materiality and spirituality is a big part of the problem mm. and if we want to unify those two then money is maybe like the crux of this unification because if there's anything harder to make into to bring into the sacred realm it would be money so, i think it feels like that with the collective yeah. way we approach it right sorry i interrupted please continue. no that's fine um yeah let me just pick up where i was going with that um the material and spiritual yeah yeah so so money so often seems to to like pull me back into a person that i no longer want to be mm. and it seems to bring out my worst impulses so i want to look at that because i want to to become who i can be I and mean, this is what your show is about mm. is money what role does money play in your evolution what self do you inhabit what story of the world do you inhabit when you're really immersed in the money world i mean it's all about maximizing self-interest it's about security it's about counting things it's about cost benefit analyses accounting you know it's not um i mean you can use money in an expansive generous way but the culture of money and i would even say the design of money in our in our current system pulls us back into the story of separation ah so that's that was the unifying factor i in i wrote a book called sacred economics that yeah was mostly about the systemic level actually but also about the psychological level because our psychology um is is it's not entirely dictated by this system that we're in but it's heavily influenced by the system that we're in and then the system in turn is built on the psychology yeah it's like a, there's an ontology in there <laughs> yeah like it's a self-reinforcing pattern mm. and so how do we break out of that pattern that's a great question can you help me answer that <laughs> <laughs> i mean anytime you ask how do we do anything it's always well what do you mean do you mean how do i do it you and me or how like the abstract we of society and the government should do this and people should do that mm -hmm. um the most relevant unless like we're a bunch of economics geeks in which case we could have a different conversation but uh, it often comes back to to myself and for example how do i run a business when i'm putting out uh writing and whatever videos things like that podcasts mm -hmm. um that I'm not, I, I didn't sit down and say, okay, what's the best way to make money? I know I'll write some things. Like my purpose is because I had something that was important for me to say. I had a service I wanted to offer to the world. You could say I had a gift. Hmm. So why would I want to limit the reception of that gift by putting it behind a paywall? Like that just, 
that is counter to my basic motivation. Mm. And like all of us, we, we, you know, we all have the pressure to make a living. So we're, we're torn in two by the pressure of money. We so want to give. And we live in a system that doesn't seem to reward the altruistic gift, but says, no, you better find some way to monetize this. Mm. And this is the dilemma. I don't, I don't have an easy answer to the dilemma, but I'd like to recognize that dilemma. And then I can share how I've uh, engaged that dilemma through gift economics. But yeah. you know, I'm not offering that as the answer either. Hmm. Amazing. I love the I love what you're sharing there about the actual awareness is is kind of key for us to then have a conversation to sort of see where we need to go. And I think it's interesting, um, just the way you describe that. That's the first time I've heard it heard it described as paywall, which is which is really um a, a very uh it's it's a very neat metaphor in understanding that actually yeah because then it's like well in order to you know monetize the gift which is conversation there is a paywall right and in my world that looks like you know come and speak uh, as a speaker and it's like yep but what's you know I'd love speaking I would I I have done it for free you know um, but then you know it's like if if the if the speaking engagement brings me fifteen thousand dollars and that's like that's great because that can now help me interface with all the other payballs when I go to Safeway and all the all the Coles and all that to actually buy the goods that I need they're all behind the payball as well so very interesting I love that terminology that you've used and so you know when we come to the gift economy then what does that and I, I know just prefacing that you said that this is a potential different direction um, rather than the the solution um, per se but what does the gift economy look like? Oh, I mean, it can look many different ways. It comes from a basic impulse or the basic understanding that I'm offering this as a gift. And if it's precious to me, then any amount that I charge is going to be too little because this is infinitely valuable. It's sacred. <laughs> so I don't want to devalue it by putting a price on it. And any amount I charge is also too much because yeah. I don't want it behind a paywall. I'm, I'm here on earth to give this. So what do you do when any price is too little and too much? You can't set a price. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll let the user determine the price. I do that for online courses. And that price could be zero. Uh, it could be anything you want. Um, but, it's, but I say, um, be guided by your feeling of what is right and good and fair and clear the right gift that makes you feel good to give it mm -hmm. and and it could be zero and so now it takes the pressure off me to provide value and it allows generosity to come in and it allows me to be funded without having to compel people and be like no 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 i'm not going to give it to you unless you give me something <laughs> that's not the kind of energy i want you know I yeah, want it right. to be open and flowing. And so that's one way to do it. And it works really well with digital uh, products because mm -hmm. it actually doesn't cost me anything or not very much to, for someone to download another copy. Mm -hmm. If you're yeah. talking about material things, that's a little different. If I'm talking about being a public speaker and I have to travel and stuff like that, then um, I might, I mean, I often actually use a gift model for that too. But you know, if it's like a more uh, mainstream conference or something like that, and they pay their speakers, I'm you know happy to um, honor and value my work by 
receiving an honorarium that's comparable to the other top-notch speakers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not, um, you know, I'm not a gift economy Nazi, you know. <laughs> we're, we're, we are in a, an in-between time right now yep. where the, the old ways don't work for a lot of people. Like, it doesn't feel good to, to festoon your site with advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, or to hold things behind a paywall, that doesn't feel good. And maybe it doesn't even work that well. Mm. But there isn't really a roadmap for doing this in a way that resonates with who we want to be in the world. Mm. So we have to explore and share with each other how we're doing it and be generous with our judgments of those who are trying these experiments. Mm. Yeah, it's... it's uh it's really potent the way the way you're sharing what you're sharing because oftentimes um yeah i'm just reflecting back on my own experience and the the, the few times that i got a sponsor for the podcast let's just give that as an example for advertising um i absolutely believed in what they were doing so that was that was critical for me it was like it was uh, life cycle mushrooms they have these amazing tinctures full of reishi shag all these really great um chinese was, it, was that a was that a paid product placement just now <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually isn't. It actually isn't. It would have been. It would have been twelve months ago, but, um, but no, it's not. And that was only. It only lasted about three or four episodes, right? Um, and the reason that is the case is what I was getting to, is um, I just I just didn't like the energy of like people tuning into a conversation between Charles and Amrit, and then feeling like somehow Amrit had his interest in putting his hand in your pocket while you're just listening to a chat, right? Um, now, was it the best business move? No, it wasn't. You know, it was like there's plenty of opportunity for everyone tuning in me to go hey like this is really good for you and you know by the way check this out um but and i i kind of just on my intuition and this is this is kind of you know you were talking about energy and, and you know what resonates and this is really really cool space at the moment because it's it's it just didn't feel right i couldn't articulate to people why it didn't feel right um the the people that you know that we were advertising for were great and the work we're doing is great and is there an alignment absolutely but it just didn't feel right for me and then um, I went on this journey and continued podcasting just without any sponsor. And then it got to about um, 12 months in and I was listening to one of the people that I respect a lot in society. And I'm obviously not going to name the names here. And I was listening to their podcast. They developed a podcast and my, me and my wife were listening to it. And, and an ad came on midway through the podcast and she was like, oh my God, I hate that. And, <laughs> and I was just like, wait, what happened? And she's like, I absolutely hate that. And I was like, Wow, I'm like this is like coming full circle for me. I need you to explain what just happened because I had the energy intention of like I don't like it and I'm not going to do it. But why? Like, can you explain to me a little bit better? And she's like, because all of a sudden I was listening to one thing and then just something that is completely and it completely took away from the energy of that person's integrity because now it's you know they're talking about something that has nothing to do in alignment with the values of what they were previously talking about, and it was just it was a real mess and it was it was really interesting just to get that feedback and I think we don't uh, stop to have the conversation that you and I are necessarily having in this space, which is, hey, like the energy around how you're showing up and transacting with the world um, has this, you know, latent cord back to money. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, and it's kind of inauthentic and it taps in the signal it sends out is in the end, this is just about the money. Mm-hmm. And imagine if we were having a conversation and in the middle of the conversation, I'm like, hey, Amrit, I'm going to tie my Nike sneakers. Just do it. <laughs> like, you would feel, <laughs> you'd feel disrespected. Yeah. You know, like, am I a conversation partner or am I a mark? Am I a chump? And, and people in this society, in any monetized society, really, most people, including myself, get jaded and inured to someone's always trying to take advantage of me. This is not our imaginations. It's called business. Not that everybody does business this way, but, but someone is, you know, very often trying to take advantage of you. So we get like really cynical and we start to live in a world where the truth is everybody's trying to take advantage of everybody else. Mm -hmm. So of course I've got to protect myself. I can't let, I've got to, um, guard me and mine. Mm. And then okay. other people then experience me as doing the same thing. Oh, mm. this guy's out for looking out for numero uno as well. Yeah. So it, then we, we all get locked in a pattern that on a deep level, no one resonates with. Mm. It's like we're all stuck in a prison of our own making. Everyone yeah. participating in it because everybody else is in it. And it's almost like, this is one thing that I'm um, seeing with coronavirus, you know, the possibility of dissolving the structures that um, define our routines and our habits, temporarily maybe, but all of a sudden we can see what lies outside of our narrow um, structures. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. Um, and, I, and I was hoping to have that conversation with you. One of the things I wanted to just before we get to, to where we're at in this exact event today was, um, you know, you're saying everyone's like, you can feel that energy of, like, hey, I'm trying to be taken advantage of, I'm trying to be taken advantage of, or that person's taking advantage of me. And fundamentally, the mechanism under there is, well, for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, feels like it's competition. It's that essence of competition that is woven into um, like if I, and you, you're taking advantage of someone because if you don't, someone else will, <laughs> you know, it's just really mm-hmm. weird. Like, and for me, that spells competition. Um, and I, I remember drilling down into, yeah, like I didn't really understand so much around, um, the fact that we only really lend to those that will grow and return and how that as a mechanism actually influences and uh cultivates competition like i never i never put those two things together until i started research can you tell us a little bit about that yeah that was one of the uh 
one of the three lines in sacred economics um, describing how money is created in our system uh, through the lending of financial institutions to individuals, to corporations, you know, and if you're a bank, of course, you're going to lend to somebody who's going to pay you back. Mm. Somebody, for example, who has a, a business plan that they're going to make even more money than you lent them so they can pay you back with interest. So what kind of business plan is that? Is that the business plan where you're going to protect an ecosystem? Mm. No, because the, the banker will be like, how are you going to make money that way? I mean, yes. I like the ecosystem too, but how are you going to pay me back? Or is it going to be the business plan where you pave it over and build a strip mall? Ah, now I see how you will pay me back. So, so basically the system is geared toward endless growth of the monetized realm simply because of the way money is created. And it also puts us into competition because at any given moment, there's always more debt than there is money. Mm, yeah, that... That is hard to reconcile when you hear that out loud. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's true. Any, I know. <laughs> any, yeah, like the money is created through lending and there's always interest on it. A million dollars is created and $1.5 million of debt is created. Mm. So we're always in competition with each other for never enough. And that doesn't mean that, that there wouldn't be competition in a moneyless world, but it means that we have artificial competition beyond what might be inherent in human nature. Then and also we've the extended that, the, sorry, yeah. we, we've the extended the realm of competition. That's okay. I, I tend to go on a lot. But <laughs> no, we, we, um, we've extended the realm of competition into virtually every facet of human life. Mm. So my work around economics isn't abolishing money, but that's not what I mean by gift, econ gift economy. But it certainly means uh, shrinking the realm of money and reclaiming some areas of life for mm. community, for the gift, for qualitative reciprocity, um, and not to have the market rule everything. Mm. Some return of sovereignty. Yeah, I really, really appreciate that. And one, where I was going to just ask you was, um, yeah, when you've let, when there's consistent pullback, which is like you said, like if I've lent you a million dollars, now I've generated debt in $1.5 million. There's a consistent, like the waves trying to pull that money back in. Um, yeah, that essence of competition then leads us to being in an environment. And I know you said, you know, there's the environment and there's us, but then sometimes it's hard to delineate between the two of, um, of scarcity, right? Because that, that's, that's a real interesting yeah, when you're when you're operating from what you're suggesting, in my opinion, is like to be in the gift. It's like okay, whole and centered from an abundant place. Like, how much do I value this thing? And where is my like everybody's level of abundance is is at a different rate, and you can honor that and then pay what you feel to be in that mm -hmm. space, like in alignment, and you've really got to tune in, right? Um, but we don't really necessarily get the opportunity living in the, in in so much competition um, to tune into that because it's just there's this pullback. It's like, hey, I've got to make my repayments. I've got to make my repayments. I've got to make my repayments. And so there is that inherent scarcity because everything I've got is plugged into, if I don't make that, this is going to disappear. Yeah, bad things will happen to you if you don't make your payments. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that's, that's very much true. Not quite as true as our minds make it, mm -hmm. but it's very much the case. And, and so that is one of the biggest governing like uh, 
limits on people's uh, capacity to follow their dreams. Mm. I mean, how many people feel enslaved? They use the word enslaved mm -hmm. to their mortgages or to their rent payments or to their student loans. Yeah. Uh, you don't have that in New Zealand, but I don't think, do you? No, but even in, um, in, in Australia, and even so, Australia. Uh -huh. Australia, and even though, but even, it's even just a job. Like I remember when I was trying to yeah. disconnect from being in a corporate nine to five, it was like I, the word courage really dropped in. It was like just this, this moment in time. And when I looked at the word courage, as soon as I realized that courage wasn't fearlessness, because for 30 years I was walking around thinking they were the same thing, um, whole nother story. <laughs> um, but when I dropped into that, I was like, oh, courage. And I was like, and as soon as that precipitated, courage is actually having fear and moving towards it anyway. I realized what my biggest fear was, which was, holy shit, like everything guiding me in this financial structure of like, yep, weekly paycheck and white picket fence and retirement, live life free. I was like, stepping outside of this is actually what is one of my biggest fears because everything is just so well ordained and organized that what happens if I don't honor that kind of energy? Um, and that's just such a such a visceral fear. And the, you mentioned the word courage, and, and it's, it's it's totally powerful. But it's even in that space of the nine to five and the jobs that we live, and yeah, yeah. Competition so, isn't a bad thing. Hmm. You know, it's it its proper role is to uh, allow us to test our limits hmm. and to show us where we're not as competent as we thought we were maybe you know it, it can be a, a journey of self-revelation mm -hmm. so i'm not anti-competition it's just that it's pervaded realms of human interaction that it should not be competitive yeah i love that and so because yeah the healthiest place for competition being obviously competition with oneself and then learning to collaborate with others through that increased ability that you develop through your self-competition and that self-realization journey that you go on. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it's about competition with oneself. I mean, I think that, that? that I don't know, like I, I was an athlete in, in college, you know, I, was, I, I learned a lot about myself through competition, but it yeah. was in a contained arena, you know, uh -huh. where, yeah. Ultimately, I mean, ultimately this, this gets down to, basic philosophy. I would mm. even call it the basic mythology of civilization. Sure. The question, who am I? Uh -huh. Who are we? Yeah. And if we trust the narrative that, that um, modernity is built on that says that we are separate individuals mm. in a world of other, then competition is of course natural. Because if I'm separate from you, then more for me is less for you. Mm. We're in this external objective world. Mm. And my power, my well-being depends on being able to dominate all of those competitors out there, mm. as well as the forces of nature that don't care about a human being. So as long as we accept that that is who I am, then our money system, our economy, uh, our entire society is built is, is baked into the cake. But right. if we are in if we are in a story of interconnection, interdependence, interbeing yeah. being an emergent property of the universe. Yep. Yeah. Then my well-being is intimately connected to to the people around me and the beings around me. Mm. And and 
which is in a gift culture, that's obvious. If, if, if you live in a culture where whoever has more than he needs gives it to those who need it, then you're going to be rooting for those who have amazing skills. Because mm. the better they do, the more gift there's going to be circulating. And you're going you're to feel sorry when the, most, when the best hunter or the best musician or the best at something suffers a misfortune. Because mm. it's not like, ah, now I can take his place. It's, wow, I'm going to be poorer now because this member of the circle of gift has, is incapacitated. Mm. And, yep. and this, yeah. And, and in that, in the interconnected sense of self, the purpose of life is different. It's no longer to win security, mm. but it is to give of our gifts. Mm. And I think that this, this basic knowledge is still with us. Like, even if you do win security, are you going to be satisfied? Yeah, you still try to contribute, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you still want to contribute. Yeah, no, no one wants to live the life they're paid to live. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So I want to ask a question then, which is attempting to ground some of this in then. Like, we do have the current structure that we have. We have this potential for what is innately feeling like the way we want to operate. Um, but, you know, we've, we've learned to repress that and embed ourselves in the world and try and, you know, make what we need to do, uh, do what we need to do and make ourselves, make of ourselves what we need to make of ourselves in order to facilitate that. Um, in there, how do we then, in, like, is it, is it a matter of trying to integrate the two? Like, how, like, oh, like, maybe an example from your own world. Like, I know you said, you know, you've got your digital products and you've made it, hey, like, you, you place the value on that. But how does... You know, someone listening in, how do we integrate uh, a new way of interacting with money, interacting with our life and infrastructure? How do we actually go about doing something like that when it seems like, I'm going to use the word neurosis, pardon me, but the neurosis is collective? Yeah. I don't think that there's a general formula for how to do that. Hmm. I think that the skillful means necessary to take the next step, you know, this is not an all or nothing, nothing thing. It's about what's the natural next step yep. toward the future that's calling me mm. and toward the future that's calling all of us. Like it, it's as if we can feel, we can sense that future on the horizon and mm -hmm. that there's a path that goes to it. And there's many, many other paths converging on the present, each of them leading to a different future. We can see the future, like we have these moments of our lives that show us what's possible mm -hmm. and it might just be a fleeting experience an encounter where we witnessed true generosity maybe or true cooperation or the magnificence of our own gifts and have that feeling yeah this is what i'm here to do mm -hmm. and then and and a world could be built on this and then maybe it passes you know and you're back to normal but mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a trick of the universe um, to temporarily comfort you from the grim reality that we're in. But it felt like a, an outreach from the future to the present. So like we see these destinations, we see how beautiful life in the world could be. Mm -hmm. And then the rational mind said, there's no, there's no way to get there. Right. There's, there's, it's impossible. 
you know, for, for life to be that good and the world to be that beautiful. Because even but, as you're actually, yeah, sorry. I'll do, but all, yeah, all I want to say is that we don't need to know. We don't need to map the entire path there. All we need to do is to recognize the next step. And recognizing the next step comes from new information that uh -huh. reveals to us how the, like these experiences, or maybe even this conversation that awakens something that recognizes that it's true. And just recognizing it is a reprogramming. Mm. And then maybe you'll um, see an opportunity that you wouldn't have seen because you know yourself as a being of gift mm. and you can feel the truth of that. And so when the opportunity comes up, it's like, oh yeah, I think I'll do that. Yeah, I love that. And that's, um, yeah, I worked with um, Eckhart Tolle for six months and it was almost painful to continuously have him bring me back to the awareness is the shift. The awareness is the shift. The shift has already happened. Just come back to your awareness. It's just a matter of you now catching up and integrating that, you know, that it's in the present moment. The shift is the awareness. So just be aware. So I hear that being echoed in this sentiment here, which is, yeah, it's it's really deep if you continue to ride that. What I was going to say um, before was, sorry, I keep trying to interrupt you, my apologies. I think there's a bit of a lag in the connection. Um, so with the, it, it, like finding a new way and this is what i love that we landed in awareness um in there because yeah it's it's going to be some level of me trying to navigate that whole process is up to my uh discretion or intuition or feeling as well because on some level um one could argue especially if they're listening and i'm just playing devil's advocate here is that hey like if it's okay if i just sit back and go okay like you know uh, I'm just going to charge what people feel to to sort of contribute to me in this moment. Um, there's still that person that I'm in competition with that's going to outstrip me because of the way society is currently rigged. And so I think the conversation we're having here is to have more conversations like this, bring more awareness so that more and more people are having this dialogue. And it almost is being had, right? Like I'm not, um, I'm, cognizant of the fact that we're having this conversation <laughs> do you know what mm -hmm. i mean um and it reaches people and people there's conversation what do you think it is about the time that we're in right now that is bringing such a conversation to the fore well generally what opens conversation up to extend beyond the bounds of normal is when normal isn't working very well especially if there's some kind of crisis Mm -hmm. So even before COVID hit, we were a society in growing crisis, yep. uh, seeming like there's an economic, another financial crisis on the horizon, who knows, mm -hmm. six months, two years, who knows, um, in my country, especially a health crisis and in Australia too, mm -hmm. um, like it's holding together, but it's, you know, cracks are spreading. Mm -hmm. Doesn't in, feel comfortable, does it? Yeah. System, yeah. So as normal stops working, then ideas that had been off the table then are brought back onto the table and people start talking about them. And and now that that the coronavirus has dealt such a massive blow mm. to normalcy, all kinds of ideas are entering. The public discourse mm. and we have a sense like a month ago if someone had said okay let's 
ground all commercial aircraft because of <laughs> like because of climate change or something people would have said that is impossible that mm -hmm. is preposterous but it happened yes yeah. you know it's, it's demonstrating what humanity can do when we're united in common cause mm. we have unity and coherence we can do anything none of the world's problems are technically difficult to solve mm. the difficulty is purely political it's because the, the, it's a crisis in human agreement mm. that's the crisis and and the political polarization that we're seeing the um disconnect between people of different viewpoints, the conflicting narratives, all that, th these are all facets of, a, of the breakdown of our story, the mm. crisis in communication, the crisis in agreement. If we can heal that, then anything is possible. And one good thing that I'm seeing coming out of the epidemic mm. is more unity. Like, yeah, there's a lot of polarized positions out there. Some people think it's a conspiracy, you know, checking all the boxes on the totalitarian wish list and so on. Um, yeah. And I'm not like discounting that. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people hating each other going on, but I'm also seeing so much um, compassion and solidarity and this general feeling like, wow, we're all in this together. Yeah. And that, is itself an awakening that doesn't depend on which side is right. Mm. Like we are, in a sense, all in this together, all focused on the same thing. That, when, when has that happened before? Mm. So Unprecedented. Yeah. 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 So it does give us a, a precedent uh, because w what else can we do that mm. we thought was impossible? Phenomenal change is possible yep. with our agreement. So I think it's an it's an initiation, actually. Well, what a powerful word. Um, and so in there, like, I, I what was really present for me was when I you know, you get diving into your work, it was this, like, you just call money an agreement. It's like money is just an agreement, mm -hmm. and this is what you're just saying. You know, there's there's a there's systemically the, the challenge is our political agreements, but all of a sudden confronted with um crisis and you've actually spoken about this before which is like it takes crisis to change um and navigating that process and now we are in the middle of a crisis um and we are changing yeah i don't usually change without a crisis <laughs> instead I'm, I'm i'll be like well i'm gonna have to change and i keep doing the exact same thing I've been doing. <laughs> maybe you have more willpower than i do but that's why <laughs> Oh, you give me too much credit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's profound. And I um and just I think yeah, what you're alluding to, that unity that's coming, um is yeah, I was having a, a another podcast earlier in the week and it was the conversation was around this. It was like like yes, um there's the pandemic and then there's the pandemic of fear that's associated with it, but there's also a pandemic of collaboration. That is like that is happening. Like a lot of the places, like uh, one of the parts where we're at, we're phase one in Australia at the moment, and we have to cooperate to stay away from each other two meters wherever we go. So wherever you go, you're two meters away from the next person. And even though it's social distancing, it seems like it's a disconnect. But really, you're really connected because you're like, well, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Okay, there you are. You know, and you're kind of like in this dance with everybody together. 
Um, so this sense of collaboration and unity is is present, and it's interesting to see how we're all navigating all of this. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, if you go into the kind of conspiracy world, uh, it kind of looks like they're doing everything they can to keep us apart. You know, now you can't even leave your home without written permission. In a lot of places, you basically need a hall pass. You have yep. to print out a document from a government website and have a valid reason. It's just like school, like your whereabouts must be authorized at all times. Mm. So it sure looks like they're trying to keep us apart and keep us obedient. And like you're saying, even this effort to keep us apart is generating more togetherness. It's like this unstoppable force. It's like water leaking through a cracked wall. Yeah. The water of, of togetherness, the water of love that is um, carrying us into the future. I, I think the age of love has actually started. Amazing. We're, yeah. So inspirational. And one of the questions, and now is probably the wrong time to ask it, but I, I definitely want to ask it before we before we check out, is, you know, I do feel that, you know, there is a, a shift happening collectively. We are kind of going through, um, yeah, a process, an awakening perhaps, you know, um, I'm, I'm being as audacious in saying that. And least of all is probably just my own, because we can choose the way we see the world, right? So I choose to see myself as the dead weight. Um, if I'm having this conversation, then surely like other people are having this conversation. Um, and the fact that, yeah, this conversation around you know, money and the story of ourselves and how we, how we integrate all of that. I know it, it can be quite a, um, I guess, polarizing uh, topic amongst people in terms of, you know, what is the function of money, how we operate, how we relate to it, how, what, what is it good for, what is it you know, used for, um, what's its best use. Um, and one of the pieces that I found really intriguing um, of your work was discussing the human tendency to be more polarized, like we see more polarization amongst people that we're closer to than we do than people that are further away. Uh, I think the example you gave, and by no means is this like the hottest topic, um, just a, a really obvious one was um, between people that are like say vegan and paleo, right? Um, and you mentioned that, you know, they both care about the, like the environment, like they both care about the environment is, is one of their values. Yeah, they both um, want to end industrial agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> right. But then they then they have this challenge. Can you tell us more about that? Like, as opposed to yeah. them interfacing with what the real challenge is. Why? Like, what's going on in there? Why are we not banding together to form these greater levels of agreement, which, as we can see, are, do exist. Planes can be grounded. But in the meantime, it seems that we're factioning against everybody that's trying to come up with a solution. Mm -hmm other solutions are rubbing against each other rather than the actual problem yeah. at times. So I think that deep at the root of the crisis of civilization is a crisis of belonging, mm. where because of the dissolving of community and um, the sundering of, of connections to nature, people do not know who they are. Our identity is built from our relationships because we're not separate selves. Right. And it used to be a few generations ago that in most places on earth, you would know every single person that you saw. You would know their Truly. whole story. You'd know their whole family story, back mm -hmm. generations. 
and you would know every landform and the stories behind that, mm -hmm. what happened there, and you'd know the name of every tree mm -hmm. and every plant and what those plants are useful for, and the habits of all the birds. Like you would, you were, you were connected. You were at home. Mm -hmm. um, the modern economy and and I mean, actually, science with its labeling and categorizing of everything, modern technology, it's in all of these have pushed us apart in various ways, replaced our dependencies on each other with dependencies on vast impersonal processes, and destroyed the stories that told us who we are and why we're here. Mm -hmm. So without all of those relationships and without those stories, we have a hunger to belong, a hunger to feel at home, a hunger for identity. One way to source that is through identification with an in-group, identification with an idea, uh, a way that you can know yourself as good and right because I have the right ideas, I have the right opinions. Therefore, if somebody attacks you for your veganism or your paleo or any of your dearly held beliefs, it feels like a personal attack, even mm. if they're just attacking the idea, yep. because it is actually a threat to your identity. Your identity is being right, is being good, as belonging. So people, as community breaks down, people become more and more susceptible to substitutes for it, like fascism, uh, like cults, like consumerism, anything that makes you feel connected and tells you who you are. So this problem of polarization is very deep. It also taps into the pattern of war, war thinking, which is that the reason for any problem is a bad guy. Uh, that's the basic diagnosis. The reason people are getting sick is because of a germ. Right. Well, why is it that almost everyone who dies from it has comorbid conditions, has like other serious pathologies? Mm. Is, are they dying really because of COVID, of the virus? Or is the virus just happened to be the, the proximate cause of their death, mm. but it's actually showing us how sick we are? Right. Or is crime caused by criminals and we can solve it by locking them up? Mm. Or should we actually look at why there are so many criminals? Or, you know, is terrorism caused by terrorists and we solve it by bombing them? Mm. If we think that, I mean, this is in the movies. The problem is always a bad guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Thanos, like if it weren't for Thanos, then everything would be fine, basically. <laughs> and when you kill him, then everything is fine. Mm. That's the plot. And in the most recent movie, after he was killed the last time, mm. they had to like basically resuscitate him in order to have a plot. And if you remember that, that film, what was it? Avengers Endgame, is it called? Yeah. yeah. Like at the beginning of the movie, they kill, they kill Thanos, right? Yeah. And then what happens to them? They like Thor sitting around getting drunk, you know, like Iron Man becomes a suburban dad. No one knows what to do with themselves until there's a bad guy again. Mm. So this is, these are deep patterns in our civilization which shows that for things to fundamentally change, the change has to go all the way to the root. It has to go to the way that we relate to each other, 
the way that we hold ourselves, who we, who we know ourselves to be, um, our theory of change, how, how to change the world, how problems get solved. You know, the kill the bad guy, which is, which is propagated by Hollywood, by the media, um, politics, like that is part of the problem. And a lot of the crises that we see today cannot be solved by finding a bad guy and dominating it, like Ooh. autoimmunity, addiction, obesity, depression, suicide. There's no germ that you can kill to solve these problems. And so this, this is another aspect of the initiation. An initiation, a life initiation, puts you in a situation where none of your uh, previous operating patterns are, are of any use. And, and you don't know what to do. And you go through this, this phase of letting go because mm. nothing you were doing worked. In the face that of vast is, uncertainty, yeah. Yeah. And we're going through that collectively. I mean, right now with the coronavirus, we think we know what to do because here's a bad guy to control. Mm. I think that this situation is going to unfold in surprising ways. I don't know what they are. I don't know what's going to happen. But I think but, that's the key, what you're sharing, right? Is that no one does, right? And that's the yeah. uncertainty and hence the initiation. But yeah, but we do have a feeling that we're at the, at the threshold of a new world mm. for better or for worse. Mm. Yeah, really powerful. And uh, when I was, what was uh, cognizant for me as you were sharing that, thank you, was um, when it goes all the way down into the root of who we are, somehow the root of who we are because what you're talking about, that whole villain drama scenario, um, is the story that we're embedded in, the story that we write, whether it's for ourselves, whether it's written for us. At mm. its root, it seems like the like at its root of who we are is story. Is that correct? Is that your it's, opinion? Yeah, it's deep. Um, I won't say that story is the most fundamental. Mm. Like you could say, well, if we change our story, we can change everything. That's mm. true. Um, but also we have to understand that <clears throat> that story is one aspect of an entire state of being. Mm -hmm. The stories are the beliefs that you're attracted to. Yep. Co-resonate with your life history, your mm. traumas, uh, the love that you've received, you know, this whole mix of of experiences that might even be go back to childhood or prenatal or, you know, pre previous lives or whatever, <laughs> like this, this totality of circumstances magnetizes a certain story that fits them. Mm. So the healing, you know, and some people they'll have like a transformative experience and their beliefs will change mm. because who they are is different and they resonate with different beliefs. Or it could be that you change your story and then your body changes, your health changes, your relationships change. So I don't want to say that story is prior to the other things, but it is one level that we can work at. We can look at our stories, our beliefs, and we can say, mm, maybe that used to resonate. Does it still resonate? Is that story really me anymore? Is that belief really me? This isn't about like the uh, effort of will to change your story to one of abundance so that you'll make more money. Mm. It's to look at the story of scarcity. Look 
at where it hurts, mm. what, what wounds that it might resonate with, mm. what unmet needs, and then maybe to realize, yeah, um, I'm done with that. I'm ready to live more in abundance, to trust my impulse to give. I'm, I'm changing. Mm. So the awareness of the stories and the beliefs can be very powerful, but it's not like yet another thing that you've got to do right to become a better person. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, because that's a further disconnect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. Wow. Really profound. Um, and so, in there, like you, you write about a new story in terms of coming to us. You know, writing a collective new story, writing our own new stories is does it come back to again just being key to what you were just saying just then which is like the awareness is is intrinsically the shift if we can just become aware of what stories we're embedded in um then we have the opportunity to make new choices awareness is a step it's mm. not i wouldn't say that you become aware and then do nothing it's mm. that a lot of doing comes from the awareness right yeah and it's really not so much that we're writing the new story it's that we're receiving the new story mm already there and we can tap into it and recognize it and take it in and watch how it transforms us and prepare to act from it so it's not about yeah it's not just like awareness as separate from action mm. it's awareness and readiness to trust that the awareness is going to bring you to different action mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so when you say the story is already there, um, is that it's an already like it's already emerging and it's on us to, to be aware and, and click into it? Or what do you mean by that the story is already there? It's already there in potential. It's like uh, it's like uh, Mozart, you know, who is basically transcribing music that he was hearing. Uh -huh. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, you right. Know? Did he make it up? Like, where does genius come from? Where does where does stories come from? Oh, that's this is a mystery. Yeah, <laughs> what a great mystery. Uh, yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for articulating it that way. And I think um, one of the biggest things that, yeah, is is really driving home for me, and uh, just I hope the listener as well is is this conversation around resonance. We keep using the word resonance and energy, um, and yeah, just like learning to like how we resonate, like what we're embedding as the story, as the identity, is then what we're emitting as a as almost like an antenna, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's the, that's what we're resonating to, and that's probably what we're attracting in as well. That's what we're calling in. That's what we're putting out, and hence the story that we're that we're living in. And I think that's a really just a really potent. Um, Potent awareness to have that you know the word resonance and yeah and in there just the energy that we then have and from the story the agreements that are built upon that and then thus our relationship with the money and how we interact with the world around us that's that's been really really insightful thank you so much for sharing all of that with us yeah thanks I mean I feel like we've kind of skipped around a lot of topics in this conversation <laughs> that's yeah uh, welcome yeah. to the inspired evolution <laughs> yeah. some of the episodes end up being very chop suey that's just yeah the, the nature of curiosity kind of just let the conversation go right next to you. Is there anything that you wish to share before we tie up? Um, 
Yeah, I just want to uh, express my appreciation for your uh, good humor, you know, and and uh, friendliness, and like that transmits some kind of information also <laughs> that there's a truth in there, you know, when somebody is joyful, not because they're trying to be, but because they're recognizing something about life. And I really appreciate that about you. And um, I'm going to be taking that with me after after our talk. Oh, touch wood, Charles. Thank you for your blessings. That's super sweet. Thank you so much. I really want to take this moment and opportunity to thank you for your kind reflection. Um, really means a lot. Really, really means a lot. Touch wood. And uh, thank you so much for your time and energy here today, um, just for showing up and, and yeah, being so graceful. And I, um, it's not lost on me just the way it was so, like a lot of these things are quite nebulous and there's things that are not just nebulous, um, but also things that we avoid looking at. Um, and I really respect and appreciate the way that you've pulled them together and actually looked at them, but then also looked at them together. That takes uh, a definitely an element of courage and I really respect that. So thank you so much for today and all the work that went into us having this informed conversation today. As always, going to wish you the best um, for what's coming up, especially in these times. There's a lot happening at the, uh, at the moment, so I hope your loved ones are well as well. Um, for those that want to tune in to Charles Eisenstein, um, there are, the books are a great read. Uh, as you can tell, you're an eloquent speaker. Your books are really well written as well. Um, what's the best way to get in touch uh, and find out more? I mean, you just go to my website, charleseisenstein.something or other. Um, I just put out a new essay called The Coronation mm -hmm. about COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, pretty excited for people to uh, read that. Um, so, Perfect. Yeah. I'll, add it, I'll direct people um, to that essay if it's on, uh, because it's online uh, in the show notes. So we'll make that um, possible for people to guide their way there. Yeah, thanks, Everett. Of course. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time and energy. Thanks. Hey, Tribe. Thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of the Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health, and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is www.amrit-sandu.com. You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect. So I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu. And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help the Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to the Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at the Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to www.amrit-sandu.com to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.